Welcome to another edition of the Blue Ribbon College Basketball Podcast. Alongside Chris Dorch, I'm Kevin Ingram. Always great to have you with us as we talk some college hoops. Coming up on today's show from the uh, Crimson Tide Sports Network, Brian Passick. He is a, a terrific analyst and a former Alabama player, and uh, he gets a, a courtside seat to one of the best teams in the country. So looking forward to visiting with Brian in just a little bit. You know, Chris, uh, watching games, I do a lot of nights, and I, I sat down and I said, oh, I think I'll flip over and watch some of this LSU and North Carolina Central game. And Dave Neal and Dame Bradshaw are doing the game on SEC Network, and the first words I hear were Chris Dorch, and they're talking about uh, <laughs> you and, and, and uh, some assistance that you had given them. And I see you all the time, and we text, and we do the shows and everything. But every now and then, I get a reminder of just who exactly I'm, I'm working with here. And so I, I was like, that that's my boy right there getting a the shout-out. Uh, I don't know about that, dude, but uh, it is funny. They they had a question that they just kind of tossed out there. They, they said, can a an interconference transfer – be a newcomer of the year. And I just thought, well, I'll just text Dane. He's doing the game from home remotely, and he probably has his phone nearby. So I actually had looked into that because Ken- Kendrick Davis uh, in the American Athletic Conference switched from SMU to, to Memphis. And the question came up, can I pick this guy as newcomer of the year in his league if he's already been in the league? And my answer immediately was yes, because he, he may not be new to the league, but he's a newcomer to his team. Right. But I checked with some trusted aides. Uh, I reached out to Jay Billis and Fran Fraschilla and a couple of my editors. Of that uh, august body, um, only one said disagreed with me. So I say he can be. And I texted that to Dane, and near the end of the game, it was pretty much a you know, a done deal, and there was a few seconds left, and Dane and uh, Dave, who who I've worked, I've known Dane forever. He's one of the best people in college basketball ever, and Dave Neal's a great guy, too. I remember the first TV, uh, live TV I ever did was with him. It was, uh, I forget what network it was on, but I was nervous as a cat in a room full of rocking chairs, and the the producer was counting down to live, not 10, 9, 8. And he leans over and whispers in my ear. He says, we're just two guys in a bar having a conversation. And I immediately went from being wired like I'd been on a caffeine uh, IV drip to like chill. And, and he said something that, that has stuck with me. Not that I yeah. do a ton of TV anymore, but. So yeah, those those two dudes, <laughs> I appreciate them shouting me out, but uh, they didn't have to do that. Yeah, they're two of the nicest guys uh, around the SEC. I see them uh, throughout the season. Uh, see Dave doing some football too. So yeah, always cool to catch up with those guys. Uh, Chris, I, I know this is the basketball show, but uh, we do want to mention a, a couple of notable passings over the last few days. And let's start with Mississippi State and the the death of football coach Mike Leach only 61 years old, and an innovator of the air raid offense. But more than that, just one of the most unique characters ever in college sports. I mean, his press conferences and interviews and talking about everything from candy corn to weddings, and obviously pirates and um, his love for history and and all sorts of things. Uh, You you just don't see many people like Mike Leach uh, around college sports or any sports uh, for that matter anymore. 
No, um, Pete Thamel wrote a, gro- a great piece on ESPN.com. He called Mike Leach a renaissance man masquerading as a football coach, and it's true. He, he was a rugby player with no college football playing experience. He had a law degree from Pepperdine. Uh, he was sort of a mad scientist. We were talking about Dave Neal. He mentioned on the broadcast last night where he had gone to Kentucky for s- something, and he was talking to C.M. Newton, the AD at the time, and they, he wondered why they had hired a football coach, Hal Mummy, from Valdosta State. And he said, well, he's got this mad scientist offensive coordinator with him, and we just need to liven things up around here. And it turns out it was Mike Leach. And Mummy and Leach had worked together at Iowa Wesleyan in 1989, and they kind of got wind of the offense that, uh, that Lavelle Edwards, the BYU coach, had used. And he had quarterbacks, if you'll recall, like Ty Detmer and Steve Young and Jim McMahon. And, you know, these guys put their tweaks to it, Mummy and Leach. And now it's become the spread offense that everybody uses. And, you know, Josh Heupel is a a, uh, disciple, Heupel the disciple, uh, of of that offense. And Tennessee just was dominant most of the season with that offense. So, yeah. uh, College football is going to miss Mike Leach. It's obviously not how I made my my living covering the college game, but I was always as all have always been interested. And uh, a quote I, I've got to read this quote. Uh, Pete Tamil dug it out from uh, Pat Chun, uh, who is the athletic director at Washington State, where Mike Leach was. He said he's truly a one of a kind. There will never be another Mike Leach to walk walk this earth or grace the sideline at a college football game. Hmm. That's a heck of a quote, man. Sure is. And, uh, yeah, that was just really sad news and uh, heartbreaking when uh, that started to get out on on Sunday and then Monday and then news yesterday morning on on Tuesday that he passed away. So uh, all the best to our friends at Mississippi State. I know we we know folks down there and um, definitely thinking about them, and not just there, but all the places he's been, uh, was Washington State or Texas Tech. He touched lives from coast to coast. Sure did. Uh, Uh, He was at Oklahoma for a short period of time. So, um, yeah, all all the best to everyone with any uh, connections to Mike Leach. A big loss for college athletics. A big loss for journalism, too, with the death of Grant Wall. He was covering uh, the World Cup over in Qatar. A guy who had become the foremost American soccer journalist, but got his start covering college basketball, among other things. And, Chris, I, I know you knew Grant Wall. And, man, you yep. talk about a guy who's just a, a great journalist and, um, you know, a guy who really stood up for what he believed in. Uh, that was him. Yeah, I was uh, had the privilege of working with him. He was a full-time writer at Sports Illustrated and, Seth Davis, I think it was in 2001, uh, called me one day out of the blue and asked if I would go to work for them as a correspondent. And I'm like, twist my arm. (laughs) Yeah, I'll do it. And uh, I got to meet Grant Wall there. We actually covered the 2002 Final Four together uh, that Maryland won. I'll never forget the the sight of – Gary Williams, the Maryland coach, literally having to take a pair of scissors and cut off his tie. He had sweated through it so badly. But Grant was just a a salt-to-the-earth dude. I had many meals with him on the road. We covered a lot of NCAA tournament games together. Uh, Everybody that that he came into contact with knew him and loved him. I remember teasing him a little bit when he – he was a great basketball writer. 
he wrote the cover story, the chosen one mm-hmm. about LeBron James when he was still in high school. A great, great basketball writer. And when he switched to soccer, I remember calling him or texting him or something and just kind of teasing him about like, man, you sure you want to do that? Uh, it's like you in the U.S., it's not nearly as big as college hoops. And he said something then like, you know, it was his mission to make soccer a bigger deal in the U.S., And I'll tell you what, upon his passing, so many people I've seen on Twitter, social media of all sorts have said that that's exactly what Grant Wall did. It shows you the power of the pen, the power of being a decent person, and the power of really being good at what you do. Uh, Reporting accurately and fairly, not being afraid to call out what you see as impropriety or whatever. And I just... It's it's a tragic loss for not only his family and his friends, but for his readers. Uh, he was the best soccer writer on the planet. And you were talking about the LeBron James story. Even LeBron uh, had some really kind words yeah. to, to say about him in a, a social media post that he uh, put out there after uh, Grant passed away. So thinking about his family and friends as well. I hate to pile on with bad news, but uh, out of Austin, Texas this week, the arrest and details of the incident involving Texas coach Chris Beard are really disturbing. Obviously, the first concern is for the well-being of his fiance. What do you think might happen out of that? Well, you know, the, our legal system says the innocent until proven guilty. He says he has a tape recording that would disprove what his fiance says, but it honestly doesn't look good. And I just don't know if if what she says is true. And, and uh, I mean they're obviously going to get to the bottom of it. I, I just don't see how he, how he can come back from that. And, you know, the, I, I was looking at it's punishable by up to 10 years. So even if he doesn't do jail time, though, uh, the loss of his job at his alma mater, which, as you said, you know, they were uh, they he'd gotten them up to number two in the nation. And and they were rolling, I think, uh, it's just totally shocking. I mean, I knew he was an intense guy, and and his intensity uh, uh, bled over to his players on the floor. But, yeah, I, that was just – I mean, th- there were three shocks last week, two untimely passings, and this. Yeah. Uh, Texas is fortunate that he added Rodney Terry to his staff. Uh, Rodney worked for Rick Barnes as an assistant in Texas, and he also went on to become a head coach at – Fresno State and UTEP, so he's got experience. So, you know, maybe he can get this through. But, you know, the very day it happened, Texas needed overtime to beat Rice at home. So, obviously, the players were shaken, and this is just a big, big deal. And, uh, yeah, our our best wishes go out to his fiancée, who, obviously, if, if this was true, she's the true victim in this. I do not condone violence against anyone but especially women uh so yeah it's <laughs> it was a big shock man chris we check out the rankings this week the ap top 10 purdue we've talked quite a bit about the boilermakers and how good they are virginia yukon alabama 
and Houston. They fall down to fifth after being ranked number one, and Alabama went down there and beat them. Uh, Tennessee, a really nice win. They escaped against Maryland back on Sunday. And then you got Texas and Kansas and Arizona and Arkansas rounding out the top ten. Over the SEC, you got a whole bunch of first-year coaches, and you got some guys doing really good jobs. Chris Jans of Mississippi State, they're nine and zero. They're ranked seventeenth off a road win at Minnesota, and LSU at nine and one with Matt McMahon with a roster that's completely rebuilt. I, I was looking up and down at, the, at their stat page, and I only recognized about one name from uh, last season. They they don't have very many holdovers from the uh, the previous team and previous uh, administration, but uh, he brought some good players with him from Murray State, and they've done just fine. Yeah, when. When the SEC flipped 42% of its coaching roster last year, I wrote a story ranking the coaches. And I, I know Chris Jans was number one. I, I think I had Matt n- number two or three. And I thought they would both do a great job. Matt at, at McMahon at LSU, literally, he had one walk-on when he got there. That was it. Everybody else hit the portal. The recruiting class scattered. One of them went to Auburn. One of them went to Tennessee. But he was able to talk some guys into staying. And he, he did he did as good a job with a freshman class after losing a great freshman class as I can remember uh, with a new coach inheriting pretty much a scorched earth program. So they're nine and one. They haven't played a you know an, an awesome schedule. They could be. 10 and 0 there was a shot clock malfunction in their game in the Cayman Islands classic uh, championship game against K-State and they lost by a bucket Mississippi State I just knew Chris Jans would get the job done there's something about coaches uh, that have JUCO backgrounds Uh, Chris Beard however his career pans out now uh, but but he he had a JUCO background and was a quick fixer-upper Steve Forbes at ETSU and then at Wake Forest, uh, background in JUCO, and Chris Jans did too. And they even worked together at Wichita State under Greg Marshall. So uh, they've got a lot of commonality. And I just think if you're a JUCO coach who who is used to rebuilding your roster from scratch every year, it's no problem to come in. And the, the key with Chris Jans, I think, he was able to talk his two best players, Tolu Smith and DJ Jeffries, Mm-hmm. out of the portal and now they're their leading scorers and rebounders and jans just like the other coaches i mentioned beard and forbes uh, they stress defense and if you're going to build a roster from scratch every year like they did when they were juco coaches defense has to be a guiding principle and the bedrock upon which you build your program our guest this week is a guy who's a terrific analyst for the Crimson Tide Sports Network. He played for Alabama back in the 90s under David Hobbs. He is Brian Passing. What's going on, Brian? Gentlemen, great to be with you. Appreciate y'all having me. Yeah, you uh, get to watch hey. a good team uh, every night. Uh, Alabama 9-1, and one, uh, ranked number four in the country off that home win over Memphis last night, 91-88. Was that the longest final minute of a game you'll ever see? I, I looked it up. It was 82-75 going to the last minute. Teams combined for 22 points in the last 53 seconds, and each team scored 55 points in the second half. It had to be like being on a Stairmaster just trying to get that game to the end. (laughs) Listen, there were several times I thought that game was over, but Memphis would not comply with our plans. Uh, They they just kept fighting and kept making plays, and uh, Penny Hardaway has a, a really tough team, a veteran team, one of the oldest teams in college basketball, and every time you thought you put them away, they'd make a play now Alabama had some self-inflicted wounds not 
blocking out on a free throw, a couple turnovers there late to make that game more interesting than it probably should have been late in the game. Uh, but I will give Memphis full credit for making that last minute long and painful, at least from an Alabama perspective. But ultimately, got the win, and that's what it's all about, and it was a big one for Alabama. Brian, it's a shame uh, you're covering a team that that's so – Dull and boring, man. <laughs> uh, quadruple overtime to beat the number one team in the country. And then what a great win coming back from 15 down. At, I'm sure that arena at, at, at Houston was nuts. Just on TV, you could tell the electricity. Uh, how exciting has it been? It has been awesome um, for a guy who had a chance to, to play at Alabama, loves the program, been a part of the broadcast for a long time now. Uh, I've absolutely loved every second of it. Um, you know, the North Carolina game, to beat North Carolina, I don't care what they're ranked. Uh, that's a big deal. To do it when they're the number one team in the country in quadruple overtime is just epic. And uh, that was as good a win, as exciting as a win, uh, as I could remember in the regular season, at least before Christmas, until the Houston game. I mean, <laughs> you have another <laughs> opportunity. To, to play number one and you mentioned that atmosphere it was incredible and in the sec in recent years we've seen some of the best atmospheres in college basketball uh but i don't know anywhere that i've heard that was louder than houston you know they're the number one team in the country for the first time since 1983 host a top 10 matchup for the first time in several decades and it was jumping it was electric and the home team the number one team was rolling and i'll be honest with you when alabama got down 15 in the second half uh, i wasn't overly optimistic that this young <laughs> alabama team was going to be able to come back but uh, they did it and it was an incredible win and it's been a a terrific start to the season i think um you know that goes without saying it's been a lot of fun and for those of us that love alabama basketball right now we're just enjoying the ride brian here's what's crazy uh, Mark, Mark Sears is young. He can be forgiven for a, a little slip-up. So he had a quote about Alabama becoming a basketball school. Here's what's crazy. <laughs> the, the, the Crimson Tide uh, has not been ranked ahead of the uh, football team since uh, Nick Saban showed up 16 years ago. And uh, Nate had a great quote. Nate's such a great guy anyway. But he said, you know, that just shows you how ridiculous, uh, ridiculously good Alabama football has been. But, wow, could you ever have envisioned in Nick Saban's tenure that, that you guys would be ranked higher uh, than the football team? <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, it's a crazy stat. It's amazing. Um, you know, as a, a graduate of Alabama, I love football. And nobody has enjoyed this ride with Nick Saban more than me. Uh, but to have the basketball program just mentioned in the same breath as the football program is, is a tribute to what these players and coaches are achieving. But I'll say this about Nick Saban, even though right now the basketball program is ranked ahead of the football program, I say we keep him. I say we give this guy another chance <laughs> to, uh, to get in the college football playoff uh, next year and, and, and have that that number one or two ranking uh, that Alabama fans have gotten used to. But uh, it's a lot of fun to be a, a fan of, of Alabama, no matter the sport. I saw Greg Byrne, our athletic director, last night, and uh, he does an incredible job with all sports. I mean, soccer goes to the Final Four. 
this year for the first time in program history, number one ranking. I mean, there's SEC and national championships up and down the board. So uh, it's great to have the basketball program um, front and center right now. Uh, but, you know, th- it's it's uh, a long season. Um, you don't win any rings or championships in the first 10 games. Maybe you can lose some of those those goals early on, but I don't remember a better start uh, for Alabama basketball, at least in the 20 years I've been doing radio, than what we've seen this year. Uh, and, and you know, there have been equal records, but when you look at the strength of schedule and the name brands and the highly ranked teams that Alabama has beaten, I don't remember a better start. And there's just a buzz and excitement about this program. There has been for several years now since Nate Oates has taken over, but right now it's at an all-time high. Our guest is Brian Passink, uh, analyst for the Crimson Tide Sports Network. Uh, the freshman Brandon Miller has just been terrific. Uh, he's a guy from around here in Nashville where, where I live. Uh, 18 points, eight rebounds, two assists per game. What are you seeing from him that maybe is not immediately noticeable if, you, if you've just seen him play on TV? Well, he just doesn't have any flaws in his game. The only knock against him is he's young, which isn't a bad thing. Hmm. Uh, but at 6'9", he can play four positions at the college level. Um, he can play point if you need him to and, and uh, power forward if you want to go small. Uh, the thing that surprised me about Brandon, I knew about his skill set, his athleticism, um, but but the things that have impressed me that I wasn't expecting for such a young player is uh, to be a five-star, McDonald's All-American, all those things. He's really humble. Um, he He's really tough, and he's unselfish. He, he's looking to make the extra pass. He's excited for his teammates in games that he struggled. Fortunately, he hasn't struggled uh, that often. He did against Houston, uh, didn't didn't score a field goal in that game, uh, but stepped up and made six straight free throws to seal the deal in that game. And in the game last night, he was struggling. Memphis did a great job on him in the first half. He only had three points, uh, but he, he never panicked. He stayed with his game and stayed within the offense, didn't force anything, didn't take bad shots. And you look up at the end of the night, and he's got 24 points, uh, eight boards, five assists, and was a huge reason uh, that Alabama won that game. So he's as talented a player as I've seen in a long time, wearing crimson and white, and he's got the mindset and the want to uh, to be a great player. And I, I think he's going to be end up being uh, one of the one of the best that we've seen in Tuscaloosa, and he's going to have a chance to have a great career at the next level. You can speak to this as well as anybody, having played there and followed the program all your life. What has Nate Oates done that maybe some of the other coaches couldn't do on a consistent basis uh, other than, well, CM and Wimp, but he just has a particular magic. I love talking to the guy. You just get energized talking to him, how fired up he is. But in your mind, what what has he been able to do to, to, to get this sort of success out of his players and reasonably quickly too? Yeah, he, he's been incredible on and off the floor. Um, you know, the style of play jumps out at you. I mean, this is a style that the best players in the country want to play. Uh, the fans love it. It's fun. It's exciting. But if you're a top prospect and you have aspirations to play at the next level, you can talk to NBA coaches, general managers, front office guys, and they'll tell you this system prepares you for the NBA. So you look at the Alabama roster, and other than Mark Sears, who's from Muscle Shoals, a transfer from Ohio, um, it's it's guys from all over the country 
that want to play at a national program, which Alabama has become, to play a style that's fun to play and can prepare you for the next level if that's what you want. And to be a great team in college basketball, you got to have future pros. Alabama, I think, right now has several of those. But I think the style of play and just the fact, and, and you mentioned it, Nate Oates is a great guy. He's genuine. He's honest. Um, sometimes he, he tells you what you don't want to hear. And I think great players appreciate that. They want to be coached hard. They want to be coached honestly. And they're getting that right now at Alabama. And it's a big reason why this team is in the top five with a chance to do some special things this season. Brian, one thing that stands out to me in, in watching Alabama play, and, and, and it's a really interesting system in that it's either layups or it's three-pointers pretty much, but how well these guys pass. I mean, that's a must, isn't it, in this type of system? And, and how much do they just work on those things to have those pinpoint passes, whether it's you know a skip from one side to another to get a good look or you know however it has to work to, to get the shots that you need? Yeah, it's, it's a fun offense, especially when the ball's moving and guys are playing unselfishly. This is an unselfish group. Uh, who wants to make the extra pass, wants to find open teammates. I'd say that the one area that this team needs to improve on is taking care of the basketball. They're turning it over too much. Um, it's not anything, in my opinion, to panic about. Typically, Nate Oates teams, if they're going to turn it over, it's going to be early in the season, especially when you have young guys that are learning how to play at this pace. Um, Alabama wants to be the fastest or one of the fastest-paced teams in the country. And it takes a little while to get in rhythm and be able to take care of the basketball playing at breakneck speed. But when they do it, when they're taking care of the ball, this offense is fun to watch. It's hard to stop. And I think these players are really enjoying it. And they've embraced the unselfish nature of this program. And when you have four and five high-level shooters, which Alabama can put on the floor at any given time, uh, it's really hard to guard, and right now Alabama's doing a good job with with really uh, tough perimeter play. These these uh, guards, Mark Sears, Jaden Bradley, Javon Quinterly, they're doing a good job of attacking, finding open teammates, and right now the offense is flowing. Brian, I know you're the color analyst for radio, not the trainer, but but I wanted to ask you about a couple of players. Alabama's gotten this far without the St. Bonaventure transfer, Dominic Welch, who's a career 30, uh, 37% three-shooter on a bunch of attempts. I was just wondering if you knew anything about him, and could you reprise that story you told us before we got on the air about Namari Burnett? Uh, I think that speaks to his toughness. Yeah. It, first of all, Dom Welch, um, we anticipated playing a, a key role in this team. He's been out with a calf injury that's not a serious injury, but it's a slow healing injury, and they really want to take their time to make sure uh, that it is uh, per, that it's rested, healed, and he's ready to go. And all of a sudden, Dom Welch becomes a much more important player on this team because of the injury to Namari Burnett, who I thought was a huge key in the victory at Houston. I mean, he absolutely shut down Marcus Sasser, who's a preseason first-team All-American, only had nine points, and they were going to him late, Houston was, and he couldn't get the ball because of the defense of Namari Burnett. And I thought his loss was big last night because Kendrick Davis for Memphis was spectacular. Namari Burnett would have been on him, but uh, he's got a broken wrist. Fortunately, it's his left wrist, not his shooting hand. And he should be back in six to eight weeks is kind of the, the timeline. Um, but 
he he broke it in the middle of the Houston game and didn't tell anybody because he was he didn't want to come out and he fought through the pain and and uh, that night was feeling a lot of discomfort a lot of pain and uh, they ended up bringing him in the next morning and finding out it was broken but what a tough young man uh, to to fight through it play through it uh, Alabama doesn't get that victory against number one Houston on the road without Namari Burnett. Uh, his loss will be big for this team, but fortunately, Alabama's really deep, and they're really deep at the guard position. Dom Welch is probably two or three weeks away from getting back, uh, and he's going to be needed, especially with Namari out. But you mentioned that he was a great player at St. Bonaventure. He and Mark Sears were two huge pickups in the transfer portal for Alabama. Mark Sears has been uh, great for Alabama on the perimeter at the point guard position. Dom Welch, I think, will have a chance to come in and make an impact on the wing, and he's going to be needed with Burnett out. Brian, before we let you go, I wanted to ask you about your, your broadcast partners, uh, Chris Stewart, and I know uh, Roger Hoover fills in sometimes when Chris isn't there or is doing football. Uh, I, I've really enjoyed getting to know you guys over the last few years. And uh, is Chris just like the, the mayor down there? Because I, I, I went down there to do <laughs> football, and, and I pull up in the parking lot right there at Bryant-Denny Stadium. I was working on the, on the game broadcast for Vanderbilt, and, and I pulled up right next to Chris and his family. They were getting out of the car. So I, I saw him, and he kind of helped me out on where to go. And then you get up to the press box, and you know he's just like you know shaking hands and, and greeting everybody. What a great dude. It's got to be a lot of fun to work with him. It is great, and he is the mayor. And Chris is one of my best friends. We've worked together for 20 years. And my only complaint about Chris is in basketball, you know, you're courtside, you're around fans, and, and he can't break off a conversation. So, I'm like, <laughs> you know, I'm sitting there, we're, we're going on the air. And, I mean, you guys know, like, how it is. Analysts can't, can't call a game as a play-by-play guy. Like, I'm not going to all of a sudden – let Chris talk to his buddies on, uh, you know, courtside, and I'm going to take over play-by-play duties. So there have been many times where I've had to physically grab him, throw him down in the chair next <laughs> Put the headset on, game. dude. <laughs> yeah, come on, man. Come on, you got a job to do. He's, he's working the room at Coleman Coliseum. But, no, Chris is the best. We have such a good time together. Uh, and he is, uh, you know, I'm, I guess I'm biased. I think he's the best play-by-play guy in the business. And now our – our football fans have gotten to see that. Unfortunately, Eli Gold has been out. Chris uh, has, has filled in and done an incredible job on the football side. Uh, hopefully, Eli will be back soon. Uh, but Chris is the best on and off the mic, and, and we certainly have a good time together. Brian, thanks so much for the time. Really fun to catch up with you. Well, guys, I appreciate you all having me. I'm a big, big fan of the podcast, so it's an honor to be on. Thanks, buddy. Well, that was Brian Passink. He is a terrific analyst for the Crimson Tide Sports Network and uh, played for Alabama back in the 90s uh, when David Hobbs was the head coach. And, you know, Chris, you look at some teams and they're 9-1. and one, They haven't played anybody. You look at Alabama, they're 9-1. and one. They played everybody. They've beaten two number yeah. ones. They beat North Carolina when they were ranked number one before they lost a few. And then they uh, went on the road to beat Houston. They've only lost to UConn, which is still unbeaten and ranked number three. So you got to feel like game over game. And I know you, you guys talked about a significant injury, but They've been able to, I'm sure, gain confidence, you know, over beating all these good teams. And, you know, they went out to Oregon and, and played great in that event. So, uh, man, Nate Oates has got it going on down there. And you're right. Uh, has done as good a job as anybody has with that program in a long time. And if, if they're ranked higher than Alabama is in football, then that's a, a headline story because that's, Alabama in football is usually ranked number one. So uh, it, he's done a great job. Their best start, 
in 16 years, which is kind of crazy. You know, they've they've had sporadic success since Wimp Sanderson left, but nothing sustained like Nate Oates is going to give them. And I think he'll be there for a while. I don't think there's a job that I – th- I think Alabama will reach down and pay him whatever he wanted. And I've talked to him every year since he's gotten a job for the Blue Ribbon story, and I know he's happy there. And, and he thinks he can win it all there. And they've given every reason to believe that's true. For Alabama, we talk about it being layups and, and three-pointers, but nothing uh, in terms of threes like what Grinnell College <laughs> did. Uh, the small Division three school, it's out in central Iowa. They set a record with 111 three-pointers attempted in their uh, 124-67 win over Emmaus Bible College. Uh, I was reading a quote, and he told the Des Moines Register, uh, their coach David Arsenault said, uh, this is something I'd wondered if it was possible for probably the last decade, exactly how it would work, even be feasible to do it for an entire game. What would your shooting percentage look like if you took all threes? What could potentially be some of the other benefits in trying to play a game where you attempted only three-point shots? It was certainly an interesting experiment. Uh, they finished 40 of 111 from the field, shot 51% in the second half. Uh, their only other points came from the free throw line, so they shot 111 three-pointers and scored 124 points. Uh, that would have been pretty interesting to watch, i got to think. Oh, man, it's crazy. Uh, David Arsenal, the coach, is a disciple of Paul Westhead, who had the great offense at Loyola Marymount, where I, I think they tried to shoot it every within three seconds uh and scored a ton of points but grinnell has, has done all kinds of crazy stuff they had a kid jack taylor who set the ncaa record in 2012 with 138 points he also had a 109 point game and they've just racked up points at an unbelievable level i wonder if anybody would ever at the d1 level would ever give him a chance uh to sort of bring that I, I think most of the experts I've talked to, they're not real high on a system like that because it gives up as mu- almost as much as, as it scores. And most of the the, the friends I have who, who have played or coached, they're purists, and they like to see a little more defense. I think it was tried at the Citadel and VMI for, for a while. Uh, but, uh, you know, the, they were they always surrendered as many points or more than than they scored so it's just not a viable thing in in d1 where there's better athletes yeah. more of them but it would be cool to see uh, coach arsenal at the d1 level just to see if he could pull it off as we finish up our show here uh, a couple notes um i did want to note the passing and and wish the best to a, a guy who was a friend of our show david reed he was a producer at, at the zone when i worked there and when you and i got our show off the ground uh, the blue ribbon college yeah. basketball hour he produced it a lot of times and uh, his wife Lindsay passed away of cancer the other day uh, she was a huge tennessee fan and i remembered once i believe it was when the sec tournament was here or maybe tennessee was playing a game in nashville that, that coach barnes and the team like signed a card for or a jersey and and it was it was a really neat thing that they did back then and um just want to wish the best to, to david and all his family on on the passing of Lindsay. she was only 38 years old and just a, a tragic story i went to the to the uh, visitation before the funeral the other day and got a chance to to uh, see david and a few other friends for a few minutes so want to let them know we're thinking about him and also, Chris, uh, certainly I, I know a, a thought-provoking anniversary for you of the uh, plane crash involving East Tennessee State's team uh, back in the 80s. 
and you told me this before that it taught you to learn the value and, and appreciate the value of every day and just make the most of it. It absolutely did, Kevin. It's, we're two days away from, I think, the 38th anniversary of it. It's hard to believe. I was very early on in my sports writing career. And I remember when I was in college at East Tennessee State, I read an, an article about the Evansville plane crash. And uh, the list of passengers included a sports writer. And I remember thinking to myself, man, I'm going to be covering college basketball for my career. I hope this doesn't happen to me. And sure enough, it did. Uh, I was with ETSU. They they were flying. They, they played a game at a UAB and were flying out the next morning to Oxford, Mississippi, and the engine caught on fire and we crashed landed. Luckily, there was an airstrip in Jasper, Alabama. But it was, I mean, it was crazy. The plane burnt to a crisp and but nobody got killed, and and uh, I was able to help some people get out by kicking open a an exit door that had duct tape on it. Oh man! <laughs> Everybody was running, you know, toward the, the the front of the plane. Just got totally crushed. And I looked, and to my right, we had a, a uh, an exit door, but there was fire just raging. So I looked to my left, and everybody bypassed that exit door because it had duct tape on it. So I pulled and pulled and tried to get it off. And I, I finally just kicked it. I guess my adrenaline was flowing and the, the door went flying and I threw some people out and uh, we all got, got out. And uh, I immediately just thought, you know what? I, I was spared for a reason and I'm going to value every second I've got left on this earth and I'm going to make the most of it. And I'm going to help as many people as I can. So I think that's why I'm in teaching. And I know that's why I'm in teaching and why I try to help and mentor young journalists and help them find jobs. And I just want to do everything I can to, to pay back what was given me because I was young. I had a young family. My son was less than three years old and, and uh, you know, it had been a tragedy for them, but yeah, uh, for everybody listening and, and enjoy what you've got and, and, uh, appreciate it hang on to those you love and and uh yeah it's a it's a great lesson for me i've never will never forget it you've definitely made the most of it chris always great uh talk to you next time man sounds good buddy thanks he's chris dorch i'm kevin ingram that is the blue ribbon college basketball podcast we'll talk to you next time